Amen. Well, I am, my name is JJ. Uh, nice to meet you if I haven't met you yet. Um, I'm excited to preach this morning. Preaching is always a humbling thing that I approach with a lot of humility and trepidation as it can be somewhat daunting, but I'm excited to dive in today and continue in our sermon series on prayer. This would be week number three uh, that we've been talking about prayer. And just in thinking about what to uh, share with you this morning, I was reminded of a few months ago when we as a church uh, did child dedication Sundays. And uh, there were seven or so families involved, and my wife Mel and I were blessed enough to dedicate our two daughters, Remy, who is almost three years old, and Ruby, who is going on seven months. And leading up to that Sunday, uh, Jared took all the families involved through some educational stuff. What does it mean to dedicate your child? We talked about discipline. Uh, we talked about child rearing in general. And one of the things that we talked about was uh, what it looks like to pray for and pray with your children. And those of you who are farther along in the parenting journey than me probably remember what it's like to communicate big truths like prayer to a little toddler brain, right? It's fun to watch them uh, grasp and interact. And that has been the case with, with Remy, our, our two-year-old. And uh, what we've landed on every night, or I should be more honest and say on nights when there's not a dehydration or starvation emergency, right? Right before bed. You parents know what I'm talking about. Um, we do what we call the thank you game. And in it, we take turns. We say thank you, Jesus, for, and Mel and I often say thank you, Jesus, for adult things, you know, like the roof over our head or the food in our stomachs. And Remy thanks Jesus for things that are important to her, like her Minnie Mouse shirt or um, her favorite doll. Regardless of what we're saying thank you for, the truth is the same. And, and I'm praying that through praying with Remy, she's learning that it is the Lord who provides. It is the Lord who provides. There's a phrase for that in the Bible. Uh, God names himself that. Jehovah Jireh in Genesis 22 when he provides uh, Abraham with a ram to sacrifice in place of his son. And the provision of prayer is what we're going to be talking about this morning. The provision of prayer. Before we dive into prayer specifically, if you're joining us for the first time this week, we've chosen as a church to spend the first chunk of 2020 on spiritual disciplines. Uh, we're calling them rhythms of grace. These are things that we see, habits that we see modeled in the life of Christ that we are giving ourselves to, um, whether that be prayer, uh, fasting, Sabbath rest. And before we uh, continue on, I just want to give a quick word of caution and also a word of encouragement. And the word of caution is coming from a place of experience as I, in the past, have taken things like spiritual disciplines and just added them to my religious to-do list, right? It's just another checkbox, another thing that I have to do in order to look more religious or gain right standing with God, and that is not the heart behind the sermon series or uh, any of this. Rather, I'd encourage you to see these things as ways to deepen your affections for Jesus, Right? We are giving ourselves to these things not in order to gain right standing with God, but because we already have it because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Right. So with that, we're going to jump right into where we've been uh, for the past couple weeks. We've centered on Matthew 6 as kind of the springboard for learning about prayer. And there's, uh, it's, it's a pretty good place to go because Jesus says just bluntly, pray then like this. Right. So uh, what better place to go than here? And this is a prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that you're probably very familiar with. Right? Even if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you've probably heard this prayer in movies, right? In the locker room scenes before the big game. Um, but in this very, very simple prayer, 
there's immense, immense truth, right? And so if you would, turn with me to Matthew 6, and I want to read uh, this prayer it's in its entirety this morning, and then we're going to focus on just a few verses. Uh, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15, in the Black Bibles around the room, it is page 761. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says in verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he continues on in 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of Christ where he uh, models a life of obedience that we can follow. I pray this morning for us that our eyes would be opened to see this prayer in a new way. Free us to pray. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the first couple weeks of this sermon series, if you weren't here, Jared covered the first three petitions out of six in this prayer. And I don't envy him because they are weighty. They are very, very weighty. Those being, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And in a sense, beginning prayer, as Jesus models this prayer, beginning with these three petitions, have focused us firmly on the point, right? As we go to God in prayer, Jesus has settled our hearts and said, what's the point? God, his glory, right? He is holy, his kingdom is advancing, and his will is being done. And as we move into the rest of this prayer, we begin to see the focus shift slightly from, or to provisions uh, for man, right? Give us this day our daily bread. However, as we do this, Our petitions before God should always rest firmly on the truths that Jared covered last week. As we ask God to provide, which we're going to get to in a second, we do so with the bedrock and the foundation being his holiness, his kingdom, and his will. In a sense, they settle our hearts uh, and, and remind us who we're praying to. So with that, we're going to jump right in to Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 11, where he says, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Then verse 14 and 15, continue on in this theme of forgiveness, which we'll get to. This morning, for you type A folks who like to take notes, um, there are going to be five truths to unpack this morning. While there are many, many to cover that I can't in 30 minutes, I just want this to be as practical as as I can and share five truths with you. And, And my goal, my prayer, is that your prayer life would become unshackled this morning. I'm praying that we as a church and you as individuals are seeing prayer in a new way. Seeing prayer in a new way. So with that, we're going to jump right into truth number one. Truth number one this morning is this, is let's be a people who pray this day our daily prayers. Let's be a people who pray this day our daily prayers. We see this phrase packed into the middle of verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We'll get to the give us and we'll get to the bread, but but I think this day our daily is very important as it highlights some things about prayer that are often forgotten. The first of which is that prayer is relational and needs to be a regular, repeated rhythm of your life. Daily, in fact. The Bible says pray without ceasing, and we see this modeled in the life of Christ where he is often seen or described as being in a crowd of people, being very busy, and then he'll escape and spend time alone with the Father. 
You see, prayer is not a genie in the bottle that you rub once and are done. God is not a spiritual waiter in the sky that you only call on when your drink is empty, right? Prayer should be a regular, repeated rhythm of your life. Jared asked a couple weeks ago, schedule it if you need to. Lean into prayer as a regular rhythm of your life. And the word daily implies that tomorrow, we're going to pray a daily prayer for tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, so on and so forth. So again, prayer should be a regular rhythm of our life. The other important aspect that we see in the phrase, this day or daily, is that it plants us firmly on today. It plants us firmly on today. If you read on in Matthew 6, Jesus says in verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, in a world full of worry about tomorrow, in a world where we are obsessed with the impending doom of the future, praying this day our daily prayer settles our hearts on today. As we trust that God will be faithful today to get us through. This is by no means an attack on planning or preparing or anything like that. All those are good things. This is more about the attitude of your heart. It's been interesting as we've uh, raised kids and just watching my wife uh, raise kids at home and be at home all day, her prayers probably look like this hour prayers, right? Get me through this hour, give me enough strength, and then we'll deal with the next hour later on. So that's truth number one. Let's be a people who pray this day our daily prayers. Second truth I want to introduce with a quote from a man named H.B. Charles Jr. It's not on the screen, so just listen, it's short. He says, prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence upon God. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. So truth number two this morning is this. Praying, just simply put, praying acknowledges that we are a dependent people. We see in verse 11 this phrase, give us. Right? And this positions us as a people who are dependent upon someone else for something. In this case, we're dependent upon the Lord. Months back, we had a family meeting, not a turban family meeting, an all-of-life family meeting. Um, and what this is, is we, uh, if you consider all-of-life home, we, we meet after hours, and we dive more into the details of finances, staffing, vision, so on and so forth. And during the last one, um, Jared was talking about his vision for 2020, and he said something that was particularly convicting to me. He said, we as a church and we as individuals need to unlearn self-reliance. We need to unlearn self-reliance. Culture has for years trained us to see maturity as independence, right? But for the Christian, maturity is opposite. It's growing in our dependence upon God. Maturity for the Christian is growing in our dependence upon God, and prayer is a tangible way that we do that. David Platt beautifully illustrates this truth, and I'll have this on the screen behind me. He says this, Prayer is probably the most central, clear, critical expression on a daily basis of the reality that we need God. We need God's grace. We need God's strength. We need God's wisdom. We need God's sustenance. We need God's peace, joy, provision for everything we do throughout every single day. Prayer is an expression of that. So if you turn that around for a minute, if we are not praying, then what are we saying? If we're not praying, we're saying we don't need God. This is where we realize that prayerlessness at its root is pride. If we're not a praying people, that means without question we're a prideful people. 
because we have convinced ourselves that we can do this on our own. So I'll ask this morning a question that I've been asking myself all week as I've been preparing. Are you a prayerful person? Are you a prideful person? It's hard to be both. Right? In and of itself, the act of prayer is acknowledging our need. And even more specifically in verse 11, we see that it's addressing our need for physical provision. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. And this leads to truth number three. Is that in prayer we acknowledge that God is our provider. Right? So what's this talk of bread? What's this talk of bread? You gluten-free warriors in the room do not get excited. We are not going to talk about the nutritional facts or lack thereof of bread. Uh, that's a conversation for another time. So w- what is this about? Not only was bread a staple of people's diet at this time, but bread was also a powerful symbol of God's provision in the Old Testament, right? A very powerful symbol. So the original, the, the original context or audience of, of, of this verse, this would have meant something powerful. If you would, turn with me to Exodus 6. It's, a, it's the second chapter in your Bible. Um, it's on page 54 in the black Bibles around the room. Exodus 16. Did I say six before? I meant 16. Uh, We're going to start in verse 1, but just to set the scene, uh, the Israelites had just been freed from Egypt, right? They'd just seen God do some pretty powerful things. All the plagues, uh, the, the river turning to blood, he parted the Red Sea, and they walked through it, right? God has moved in powerful ways, and now they're in the middle of the wilderness being led by these two guys named Moses and Aaron. And we pick up in Exodus 16, 1, and it says this, they, the Israelites, set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Right, so what's happening here? These guys, again, have just witnessed God move in huge ways, right? He parted the Red Sea and they walked through it. But basically what they're saying now is, hey, we were slaves in Egypt, but at least we were full, right? We had food to eat. Verse 4 continues. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Continuing, skipping down in verse 13, he says, In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Right? So with this context in mind, what does this phrase mean? What does give us this day our daily bread mean? It's us asking God to continue to supply for us all that we need to sustain us physically. Right? The clothes on our back, the roof over our head, the gas in our car. It's saying, Lord, you are provider. Everything that I have is from you. Please continue to hold me in this way. In essence, it's saying, God, you are the breadwinner, not me. Right? Acts 7.25, speaking of God, says this. He himself, God, he himself, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Who's he give it to? All mankind. What's he give? Life and breath and everything. Elsewhere in scripture, the Bible says every good and perfect gift is from above. You see, God has a track record of providing. There are probably people in this room, some of you, who know this to be true, right? You've been at your wit's end. You've wondered how you're going to make it through, and God has provided. And we see this in scripture, 
We just talked about Exodus 16, but what about Genesis 21 when Hagar is a lady who, who her and her son are cast out into the desert and she hides her son behind a bush because she doesn't want to watch him uh, die of thirst. The Bible says God hears her cry and opens her eyes to a well right in the middle of the desert. Or how about in Matthew 14 where Jesus opens another Panera, right? This one on the, be- on the beach, way away from town, where he feeds 5,000 plus people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. You see, and we see this all throughout the gospel because God has a track record of providing. To be honest, when Jared uh, asked me to preach on today, uh, a few weeks back, and he said, you're going to be preaching on uh, Matthew 6:11. At first, I was like, huh, that seems uh, doable. Give us this day our daily bread. No words that I don't understand. Short words, that's good for me. Simple. Um, I, I in no way anticipated the amount of uneasiness and wrestling that I'd have over this verse. And here's why. Because I can tell you the number of times in my life where I've wondered where I'm going to get dinner from has been zero. Zero. We're so blessed, and yet I've spent most of my days blind to what I eat, almost entitled to it, actually. And the reason this has been troubling is because I know that this is not how many, many, many people in the world live. Marshall Sagal, who writes for Desiring God, addresses this tension like this. He says, Perhaps no act of divine provision comes and goes so quietly, so predictably, so almost imperceptibly, like our next meal. He says, now for millions of people around the world, the waiting miracle is felt and revered. Unlike many of us, when they pray, give us this day our daily bread, they truly do not know if and how that bread will come. They wait for food like many of us never have. When they lie down at night, having eaten enough to quiet their aching stomachs, they marvel that they did not starve today that God fed them enough to sustain them for another 24 long hours. He continues saying how slow the rest of us can be to marvel while we eat. We forget to eat. We sometimes think of meals as interruptions to an otherwise productive day. We miss the wonder, like watching three blazing sunrises every day, that the God of heaven and earth feeds us. See, when we pray to God as provider, we're acknowledging what we sang earlier, right? That it's his breath in our lungs. All that we have is from him. God is a sustainer of life and the fullness of thereof, and our prayers should acknowledge him as such. Truth number three, God is provider. The next truth that we see in this section of scripture is we should pray for our neighbors. Pray for your neighbors, even the ones you don't get along with. Right, and as we move into verse 12 and 14, we begin to flip the coin of provision from physical to spiritual. Right, verse 12 says this, Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And 14 and 15 continue saying, for, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're going to talk in a moment about for the phrase forgive our debts, but first I want to focus on the second half of verse 12 and 14 and 15. And specifically on this phrase, as we also have forgiven our debtors as we also have forgiven our debtors, here is where community is introduced. In fact, it's almost assumed that you and I, all of us here, if you're not living in a cabin in the woods, away from people, it's assuming you've been wronged, right? We know this to be true because of our sinful nature, where there is people, there is pain. 
What does the Bible have to say about this? Jesus in John's gospel in John 13, 35 says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How are people going to know that we follow King Jesus by the way that we love one another? And even more specifically in this verse, this prayer, we see that we'll be known by the way that we forgive each other as we also have forgiven our debtors. In reading these verses, you may be reminded of Matthew 18. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. In this parable, a king forgives a servant's massive debt. The servant then turns around and finds someone who owes him something, and he's unwilling to forgive this person. The king finds out about this, and the parable reads, this is the king speaking, You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? He goes on to say, In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus, concluding this parable, says this, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's reminiscent of Matthew 6, 14 and 15, where he says, But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Here's just a practical exercise for you. When I say the word forgiveness, there are probably people, individuals, maybe management at work that come into mind, right? These are people that you struggle with that are hard to forgive. I'd encourage you to go to God in prayer for them. You see, it's really hard to plant your flag of allegiance to Jesus and be unforgiving. And prayer has a peculiar way of softening your heart towards others. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 4.32, Forgive one another just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. What's being illustrated here? What are we seeing in Ephesians 4 and Matthew 6 and Matthew 18? We're seeing that our ability to forgive others is directly linked to our understanding of the gospel. That is, it's directly linked to our understanding that we've been forgiven much. A prayer that says, as we also have forgiven our debtors, implies a people who, because Christ has forgiven them, goes forward and forgives others. Truth number five this morning. In prayer, we should acknowledge our continual need for God's forgiveness. In prayer, we should acknowledge our continual need for God's forgiveness. As we move through the Lord's Prayer and move from the physical bread in verse 11 to a prayer for the forgiveness of sins in verse 12, we move right to the foot of the cross. Right, And our prayer should move us in a similar direction. That is right to the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We should be a people who pray for the forgiveness of our sins. And at this point, some of you may be raising your hands saying, Hey, I thought all my sins were forgiven, right? Past, present, and future. Why am I praying for forgiveness? Yes and amen. Your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. For the believer, forgiveness and being declared right before God is a once-for-all event. Right? We do not bounce in and out of justification. There's no need for any further sacrifice. Jesus said, it is finished. So what does this mean? Why is he modeling this for us? Prayer for the forgiveness of sins and confessing sins in prayer to the Father is a sign that we grasp the gospel. In essence, praying, Father, forgive me, is saying, Father, I've sinned. Jesus, I need your blood to cover me again and again and again. I cling to your finished work. In continually confessing of and asking for forgiveness for sins, we're laying hold of what Christ has already purchased for us. I'm going to give you an illustration that might be helpful. 
when I got married six years ago, my wife Mel and I said the traditional vows, you know, uh, feast or famine, thick or thin, death do us part, right? Um, what's the cheesy but true song say? Lock the door and throw away a key. It's a covenantal love, right? It's something that is uh, bound by God. We're, there's no going back. And we said, I love you then, but I can tell you uh, that we still say I love you to each other daily, right? And none of us, neither of us, when we do that, say, hey, wait, you already said that uh, six years ago. You don't need to continue to say it. Why do we say I love you to each other? In doing so, we're affirming what we promised six years ago, right? And in a similar way, asking for forgiveness in prayer is further planting Christ's finished work down deep into your heart, right? It's a, it's a, it's a way that we repent of our sin. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So then to conclude, in a prayer scene in dozens of sports movie locker room scenes, right? In a prayer that at a glance is bathed in simplicity that you may overlook, there's immense hope and practicality. When Jesus says, pray then like this, he's inviting us in and modeling for us the most important conversation you can have. That is your conversation with God. And while there's so much here, five practical takeaways today are this. Let's be a people who pray this day our daily prayers as we make prayer a regular habit in our lives. So I'll ask you, is prayer a regular habit in your life? Are you a praying person? Truth number two, let's be a people who unlearn self-reliance as we acknowledge our need for God in prayer. Right, as we talked about before, are you a prayerful person or are you a prideful person? Truth number three, in prayer, let's acknowledge that all we have is from the Lord. Go to God in prayer and name your blessings. All that we have is from him. Let's be a people who pray for our neighbors, even the ones we don't get along with. Who are they? Who do you need to go to God in prayer for this morning? Let's, lastly, let's be a people whose prayers are drenched in gospel truth like our need for forgiveness. I'll ask you this morning, what do you need to go before God with in prayer this morning? What do you need to repent of? You see, prayer is the most important conversation you can have. And if you don't hear anything, hear this. There is zero prerequisite, prerequisite to participation. None. I pray that you are free to pray, even if your prayers are as simple as a child who's saying, thank you, Jesus, for my many mouth shirt. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that although you're a God who is all-powerful, mighty, who spoke the world into existence, omniscient, you also invite us into a conversation with you. You want to know each one of us personally. I pray that we'd enter into that conversation. Free us to pray. Teach us what it means to pray. We thank you for Jesus who came and created a way so that we could be in right relationship with you. May you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.